Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachna. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Hello and welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Wednesday, May 11th, 2022. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people and using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. These tools are available absolutely free on the Internet at whyagain.org. If you go to that web page and click on the Start Here link in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? That chapter of the book contains a narrative description of the primary tool in this work, a tool called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using to great effect in my life to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships for almost 18 years now. It's also a tool that allows me to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. It's built right into our consciousness, right into our ability to be aware. And you can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it, and use it as often as you'd like, absolutely free. And while Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice work tirelessly to provide these things, they frequently remind us that While they make these things available for free, they have not figured out how to do it for nothing. So they are paying for the Internet show, and they're paying for the website, and they're paying for their travel when they go to give a presentation. So if any of the work they're doing and and working so diligently to make available to you is benefiting you, if you have the financial resources to do that, you're encouraged to donate so they can keep doing the work they're doing. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. If you do that before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see a glowing heart icon. If you choose to tap on that, it will allow you to download a completely free and private app. That app contains the Reality Management Worksheet, an abbreviated version of the worksheet process, and a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. 
You can also download a whole host of audio files of shows just like this one where people have actually called in with a problem or concern and chosen to do a worksheet process, and they've been stepped through the worksheet process live on the show. If you choose to listen to those, they can serve as a tutorial for you to figure out how to get the most benefit from this powerful, life-changing tool. You can also uh, choose to join us for a support group. We have two support groups, one on Thursday night, one on Tuesday night from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Central. And all the information you would need to join us for one of those support groups is available at mindshiftersacademy.org. And I like to remind people, because it occasionally happens, that people try and log in to the Tuesday group using the Thursday login information, and it doesn't work so well. So there's a separate page for each worksheet, I mean, for each um, support group. And the info to log in through Zoom is available at mindshiftersacademy.org. Also on that website, you'll find various audio files, highlight shows from the Mindshifters Radio, and you'll find specifically the shows we've been doing since January 10th related to the Way of Mastery with commentary. And so please feel free to check that out and take advantage of that. It's another resource that we make available to try and facilitate people learning and growing in their skill of applying these tools to their lives in a beneficial way. And if you have any comments or questions or testimonials for us, answers, um, requests, you can give us a call at 563-999-3581. When you call that number and press 1, it will put a little hand icon by your phone number and I'll announce it by your area code and turn on the microphone so we can have a conversation. And as I like to say, we greatly appreciate it whenever people choose to do that because it makes it far easier for us to live into our intention with this work. Our intention with this work is to be of service. And if there is a way that we might be of service to you, please let us know. You can do that by calling 563-999-3581 or sending an email. You can email me at tjh at mindshifters-academy.org or you can email genie at j-e-a-n-i-e at whyagain.org. That's w-h-y-a-g-a-i-n.org. And if you're um, listening to this in the archive because you don't have the capacity to listen live, if you send us a comment or a question, we will address it on the Internet show and then, as time allows, email you back and let you know what day and time we addressed your comment or question. So we're wide open for comments, questions, or suggestions today. Yesterday we finished the review of Uh, The Way of Mastery, Lesson 9. And um, 
So if we don't have any comments or questions today, I'm going to proceed with the review of Lesson 10. And the way of mastery from the first lesson on is trying to help us understand that what Michael Rice likes to talk about is perhaps one of the greatest missteps we've ever taken as was as humans is that we bought into a fallacy, a falsehood that we are victims, that we are not creators. And we've had it hidden from us that our mind energy is a creative a very powerful creative force and that it's always on. And so from the first lesson on, way of mastery is trying to help us correct that misperception and to understand at deeper and deeper levels how we are actually creating our experience of life each moment by what we choose to focus our conscious awareness on and by the thoughts that we give value to and pour our mind energy into. And the first axiom in this work is on, on page five, and, and it says nothing you experience is caused by anything outside of you. You experience only the effects of your own choice. And, of course, most of us sit and think, well, I don't want what I've got. I don't want this poverty I'm saddled with. I don't want this physical ailment. I don't want my husband or wife to leave me or my boyfriend to dump me or so a little bit later on in that same page, page five, the way of mastery lets us know that the way of the heart, and this whole first book of the way of mastery is called the way of the heart, the first 12 lessons. This pathway, this way of looking at things, this way of living your life moment to moment is not the way of the intellect. Last night in the support group, people kept coming up with, Yes, but what about, you know, how about, and what does it mean if, and what if I think everything is, uh, all events are neutral, and so it doesn't really matter what I do, and then I go off and I start hurting people and acting in irresponsible ways. And all of those judgments, all of those questions are in the realm of the intellect. And every one of them that leads to a negative conclusion, these deeper spiritual teachings tell us they're all based on false assumptions. If you know anything about the rules of logic and the system of intellectual logic, you will understand that you can take a false premise and start building on it and build a whole system of thought that seems to make perfect sense, except for the fact that it's built on a lie. It's built, built on a fundamental falsehood. One of the fundamental falsehoods, fundamental beliefs, is that you could somehow be actually alive, totally awake, totally in touch with your true nature, and then go do something that hurts yourself or somebody else. And these teachings are trying to wake us up to the fact that that won't happen. All we need to do, we don't need to create love, we don't need to create you know, value in ourselves and others. All we need to do is wake up to the essence of what's already there, to the true value that's already there to our true nature, to our value, to our role in creation, 
to wake up to what this series of lessons keeps bringing home to us, the truth that is true always. And what is that truth that is truth all, true always? One way that they say it is, I and my Father are one. I and my Creator are one. I can't be separate from the forces that, that brought me into existence. And those forces are the same forces that have brought galaxies and planets and the Grand Canyon and every river and every ocean on the planet into existence. And I'm not separate from any of that. Another way they say it is, you remain as you were created to be. You, you were created from the flow of creation itself. You were created to have consciousness, which is connected to every other consciousness, and that never changes. And when you wake up to that, spiritual teachings tell us, when you're awake and aware of that in the moment, it is not possible for you to act in a way that is harmful to yourself or someone else. So all of those intellectual processes and judgments that say, well, wait a minute, Lesson 9 is saying over and over again that all events are neutral, but if I take that position, then the next thing is, well, I don't care what any of what I do, and it doesn't matter if I you know, rob and steal and murder because all events are neutral. That's based on the false premise that it would be possible for you to be in direct conscious connection to the truth of your source and then act that way. And what these spiritual teachings are trying to wake us up to is when you are consciously aware of your true nature and your role in the flow of creation and the power of your mind energy to be a creative force, when you're awake to that, fully aware of that, it is not possible for you to be in pain, to be in suffering, and or to do something that's harmful to yourself or someone else. So every time you reach a judgment, you're in a contracted state. This is from Lesson 3 in, in The Way of Mastery. It says, if you understood what happened in your mind, in the energy system you call your body, whenever you judge, you'd never judge again because the very cellular structure of this thing you call your physical body ceases to function. The cells don't take in nutrients. They don't eliminate waste. They don't move away from toxins. They don't repair worn-out parts. When you judge, you go into contraction. When you judge, you pull yourself out of the flow of life. When you judge, it's the opposite of what they call love. It's the opposite of being connected to your source, consciously aware of your connection to your source. Judgment is of the intellectual processes, and judgment can only mechanically chime or churn through whatever it, as an intellect, has been taught to judge and value and weigh and compare and, and be in competition with. And in this book, they say, look, the way of the heart is not the way of the intellect. The way of the intellect is just this 
mechanical part of your consciousness. It's like this garbage can that's been shoved full of trivialities, thoughts, judgments, evaluations, rituals, belief systems about what's good and bad and right or wrong. This fruit is good, that fruit is bad, this behavior is acceptable, that behavior is unacceptable. I saw a meme recently that that had a, an imam, and he's, uh, he's dressed in black, and that's a, a holy man from the Muslim tradition. And there was the pope, and he's dressed in white, and he's uh, the holiest of all the holies in the Catholic tradition. And then the meme says, uh, so God told the guy in white that he can't marry or have a wife, but he should drink wine. And God told the guy in black that he can't drink any alcohol, but he should have four wives. That that reminds me of one of my favorite cartoons of all time, and that is there was a, a I think the comic uh, was B.C., and it had these um, three cavemen in the picture, and one of them was on his knees with head, forehead to the ground and hands extended out in front of him in front of a pile of rocks that was, you know, vaguely looked like a little pyramid shape, pile of rocks, wider at the bottom and narrower at the top. And, and next to that pile of rocks, there was another pile of rocks. And then there were two cavemen standing off to the side. And one of the two that were standing off to the side said, look at Grog, doesn't he look silly? He must not know that our pile of rocks is the real God. <laughs> and I had, I had that cartoon saved for years because to me that represents a fundamental truth of all religious belief. It's just intellectual, mechanical, you know, our God is better than your God. Kind of, It's like playground stuff. You cannot be consciously aware of your true nature and then do something that's harmful to you or anyone else. So all of the intellectual processes that say this is bad, that is good, this is wrong, this is right, we know the truth, somebody else doesn't, all of that is the way of the intellect and it's nothing more than the garbage that's been shoved into the intellect. It's like, reminds me of what we talked about in one of the earlier lessons where there's the, from the way of mastery, where it says, look, there's this whole thing about manifesting. And if you, you know, if you clear your mind and you do all these little magical prayers and these little rituals, then pretty soon you get the car you want in your driveway. Now, this book is talking to us about how powerful as a creative force our mind energy is and that our thoughts are and that the, the thoughts that we value are so powerful in creating our experience of life. So this book says, yes, that happens. But it's not rare. It's not a secret. It's what's happening all the time. Your mind energy as a creative force is always on. And the problem with people who want to teach it as though it's a special trick or a trait or a magical thing is that while it can be useful to remind us of the power 
of our thoughts and intentions and the focus of our mind energy. This book says the problem with that is that we can only desire to manifest those things that our culture has told us have value and that we should want to manifest. And it, it's a constant parade of jumping from, I want to manifest this so I'll be happy. And then once I manifest this, I'm happy for a moment. And then I generate fear that what if I lose this and then my happiness goes with it. So now I have to be vigilant and protective and I have to buy an alarm system and I've got to always remember to lock it and and then I have these fears what happens if I lose this thing that I manifested whether it's the relationship or the car or the money in the bank etc and then after a while because the fear is there I'm not as happy as I wanted to be after I accumulated this thing or acquired this thing so then I shift to something else that I think I need to be happy and then I start doing the manifesting tricks I was taught, and I manifest that because people say, you know what, if you get this, then you'll be happy. But that's just what's been programmed into my mind. And so using this work, using the realization that your mind energy is a creative force, it's always on, understanding that if you stay stuck in what your family and your culture and your religion have taught you, you will be forever in that cycle of wanting something you don't have, finding some kind of a way to pursue it, either stuck for years pursuing it without satisfaction or achieving it, acquiring it, and then the satisfaction fades away and then you have to find another target in an endless loop of acquiring that's why Guy Finley says in one of his talks, look, I'll give you something else to, to want to manifest. I'll give you something that has actual value for you to manifest. Manifest a way to be happy in this moment with whatever you have right now. And if you figure out a way to manifest that, which of course we can, and that's what all of this work is about, then you have something of value. And your life will never be the same as long as you continue to apply the knowledge of the benefit of manifesting a way to be happy, content, in the bliss state, in the alignment with your true nature, with whatever you have in this moment. And that leads us to Lesson 10. And the title of Lesson 10 is the way is easy and without effort, as we talked about before. If you're a Western mind and you read that, your mind is yelling at you. That's garbage. My life has been arduous. It takes a tremendous amount of work and suffering to get what you need in this life. And as we move forward and read through Lesson 10, I will once again remind you to watch for that part of your mind that would rise up in anger or judgment or fear or bitterness or hurt and argue against what's being presented. Because if you start arguing against it, you're not even letting it in. And you can't evaluate it. You can't try it in your life. You can't put it into practice to see if it actually works that way for you in your life unless you're willing 
to let it sink in, to test it out without pushing it away. And it, this may not be true. This might be an absolute falsehood that the way is easy and without effort. I want you to test it out. I want you to find ways that you can change what you've been doing your whole life and have a different experience and see if it's possible for the way to be easy and without effort, to see if your life can get better with less struggle. So the text of Lesson 10 reads, Beloved and holy, children of light and love divine, as always, I come forth to abide with you from that place which we share eternally as the one and only begotten Son, mean, meaning offspring of the Creator. The word Son in the ancient language meant anything that arises from something, that which is begotten. I am, therefore, that mind which whispers to you in each moment of your inspiration. I am indeed that mind that sneaks into your mind in the space between two fearful thoughts. And in that space between two fearful thoughts, I remind you of the truth that sets you free. Just take a breath or two and think about what that might mean. Think about what your mind does with some sentences about the space between two thoughts. What does that even mean? The intellectual mind can't even comprehend that because the intellectual mind is simply the result of a series of thoughts. So there is no space between thoughts. There is nothing of value in the space between thoughts, even if we can get ourselves to observe the space between thoughts, not to the intellectual mind, because the intellectual mind is literally constructed by the network of thoughts. The text goes on and says, Once I was a man, that is, just like you. I once turned my attention and became identified with a unique being that was birthed in time and faded away from time. And I walked upon your plane as all men and women do. But as I walked upon your planet, I began to ponder the meaning of creation, the purpose of my very existence. And while others seem to be gleefully caught up in, or at least surrendered to the ways of the world, that is, seeking out their momentary distractions, their attempts to gain and control as much wealth as they could, and all the rest of it. As that would happen, I would often wander off alone. I would sit beneath the trees beside a flowing stream to try to unlock the mystery that shows forth itself as the beauty of a flower, to try to see the power that revealed itself as the wind that would dance across the grasses, and to count the sparkling diamonds shimmering across the surface of a lake as the morning sun rose to shine its light upon it. I began to learn to ask that source, 
capital S, source, that mystery of creation. Father, mother, creator, source, one that has birthed me, why am I? Where am I? Who am I? Now, you know, as a sidebar here, I remember the first time I heard about a guru from India whose entire teaching for, you know, months and months and months, if not years and years, would be to ask his pupils the question, who are you? Just over and over and over again. And, of course, whenever that guru had a Western pupil, the first several dozen answers to the question, who are you, would be a name, a gender, a political identification, a job, a career, a history of work experiences. I'm a mother. I'm a father. I'm a son to my mom. I'm a son to my dad. I'm Tom's brother, etc. Dozens of responses. And, of course, the guru would say, no, that's not who you are. Sit with it. Understand at deeper levels. Who are you? Who are you? To truly understand who you are. The truth that is true always, that you are this essence of the creative flow of energy expressing in form that you are a spark of the one mind of consciousness. What does that really mean? These are words, but what do they really mean? We don't know. But this is what Yeshua is saying he began to question when he was a young man and a boy. I began to ask, why am I? Why do I exist? Not why am I here in this location on the planet, or why am I interacting with this person or that person? A deeper question. Why do I exist at all? Where am I? What is the true nature of this set of sensations I have that I call awareness of where I am? Who am I? What's the truth of, the, of my nature? The text goes on to say, My desire increasingly became to know the truth that could set all mankind free. I discovered that unless that freedom became fully manifested in me, it made no sense to talk about it with others. So I sought out the greatest of minds, the best of teachers, and yes, I was blessed by a family structure that was already dedicated to understanding the mysteries of what they knew as God or Creator. They led me to many such teachers. As my own wisdom began to evolve, the teachers would look at me and say to one another, Wow, something interesting is occurring here in this son of Joseph. But there were those who already knew more about me than I yet knew about myself. 
people like prophets and seers and astrologers and the wise ones of many cultures, they knew already that into the framework of the consensus mind of mankind, which you call the collective consciousness, into that there was to be dropped a pebble, a disruption in the force, a change in the energy. Into that still clear pool, a thought, a consciousness, a movement of questioning that would create ripples that would begin to change how the consciousness of humankind perceived itself. I did not yet know these things for myself, for my very birth into this world was veiled in mystery. It was a mystery for me just as your birth was veiled in mystery for you as you took on being human. As I grew, I began to have revealed to me in the depth of my silent prayer and in the depth of my very silent meditation, I had revealed to me glimmers, insights, recognitions, and remembrances of other dimensions. I began to develop the ability to be in communication with masters of my lineage who had long since left the planet. I began to understand that consciousness is not limited to space and time and the volume of a body at all. As I watched the people in their busy work, I began to see that the vast majority of beings totally confused themselves, their essence, with their body. They lived as if they dwelt within the body and therefore they were imprisoned in some strange way. They lived as if what occurred to the body occurred to them. They lived as if they did not know that they could transcend the body at any moment, that they could taste the vast expanse of consciousness, that they could journey to other times and places with little more than a surrendering of attention to the world they had made. At first, I did not understand these things, and I perceived myself to be quite odd Within me, there were conflicts as the fears in my consciousness arose, the fears that are a part of the human consensus reality. Fears like, shall I remain like everyone else? Perhaps I should return to my father's carpentry shop and simply accept that I'm destined to just be a carpenter. Close quote. However, there were other voices that spoke to me and called to me. They would come to me often in the night. And as I developed my ability to discern these other realities, these other dimensions, by shifting my attention from the world of the body to the world of inner vision, often they would come to me in the night and stand by my bed. I came to know who they were. I came to recognize the masters and teachers 
of a very ancient lineage of which I was just a part. They would come and they would whisper to me things like, quote, forget not the purpose for which you are sent forth from the mind of the Creator. For through you shall be birthed the beginning of an ancient remembrance. And your life shall become that which demonstrates to many the truth that only love is real, close quote. Now, this, this idea that is being talked about here as though Yeshua had that message from his lineage introduced to this in the last lesson, Lesson 9, where it says, everyone is a minister. You cannot help but minister to the world in each moment. Therefore, you could choose to begin your ministry of enlightened consciousness now. Imagine a world with 10 million awakened children, offspring of the Creator. Imagine a multitude of human beings on the planet all at the same time who are awakened to their connection to the Christ mind. That's what is being asked of us. Yeshua says that was what was being asked of him by his visitors in the middle of the night from the ancient lineage it's also what the way of mastery suggests is possible for each and every person who's called to this work. The text goes on to say, the point of all this is simple. I want to convey to you yet again that the life I lived as a man was not unlike your very own. I began veiled in mystery, a child among children, a human being struggling to make sense of his world. Yes, there was within me something that was calling me, a longing to know something that the world did not seem to teach. Yet at the same time, isn't it true for you, if you're listening to this kind of a teaching, if you're following the Mind Shifters Radio, if you're listening to the Way of Mastery over and over with these in-depth things, isn't it true that there's a part of you that has felt that same kind of a call, some urge to get it different, to, to experience life more fully, more lovingly, more peacefully, more blissfully? That same longing to touch what is invisible, to see what cannot be seen with the eyes, to hear what human ears have never heard, to embrace what arms cannot touch, to abide in perfect peace and perfect trust. Just, just let that sink in. Why are you listening to someone read a spiritual teaching? Why do you pick up any spiritual teaching? Isn't it true that there's a part of you that yearns and longs and has been answering a calling 
to have an experience that transcends what your senses can offer, what you've been trained or conditioned by your culture to believe is true. The text goes on and says, Beloved friends, understand well. I say to you yet again that I, Yeshua, come only as your brother and your friend. I come to you as one who has walked as you walk, one who has breathed as you breathe, one who has cried as you cry, one who has laughed as you laugh. I am as you are. If there be anything that I can give unto you, it is simply this. As you look upon your life and every event that unfolds in it, every time you feel that you have failed, every time that you become conflicted, every time that you are sure you will never be able to transcend all these ups and downs and emotional waves, that seem to come with living in your world. Remember, I have overcome that world. And because I have done it, it is already done for you. Why? Because we share the same infinite field of mind that far transcends all levels and dimensions of manifestation. You can tap into what has already occurred. You need only look upon me as your brother and friend and acknowledge that the world has been overcome. And then accept the freedom, which is the effect of overcoming this, and accept it as your own. You don't have to create it. Life, the flow of life, infinite abundance, joy, bliss has already been created. It's your heritage. It's the birthright of every human. And yet, on top of that, has been layered countless intellectual trivialities, as this book would call them, that hide from us our true nature. This reminds me of in, in the ancient Aramaic, there's a word, the, the word may come to me, but the word was then translated into something in Greek and then something in English, and it came down to us as the word faith. But as the scholars take a look at that and trace it back to the original Aramaic word, they find that it doesn't mean blind adherence to something that can't be seen or felt or touched that the word faith has a lot more to do with the concept of getting consciously connected to your true nature at the core, the source of your being. Right? Connecting to your true core essence and source. Like this that that will eventually be revealed to you if you ask questions like who am I? What am I? Where am I? Why am I here? Why do I exist at all? What's my essence? And then once you're consciously connected to the rooted center of your being, then you take an action. Then you speak a word. Then you breathe, and your breath carries the creative force with it. 
faith used to mean acting from the awareness of the rooted center of your being, acting after you've gotten consciously tuned into the fact that you are a part of the flow of all life and creation. And as we were talking about earlier in the introduction to this work, if I'm actually conscious of that, it is not possible for me to act in a way that's harmful to myself or someone or something else. So this text goes on and says, so, so that you might learn to sit in your chair after your five minutes of abiding as a Christ and say to yourself, quote, Here I am free. Heaven is now. The past is passed away and I choose anew. This day I commit myself to teaching only love by sharing only loving thoughts. This one day, I will look upon each one that comes into my experience, and I will first breathe deeply the presence of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, what does that mean? It's an elemental force specific to humans that's implanted in each and every one of us at the moment of our inception. And it's there to help break off the effects of our errors in thought and guide us to truth and happiness peace and happiness, light and love, if we just ask it to. This one day, I will look upon everyone who comes into my experience, and before I interact with them, I will take a breath. I will breathe deeply into the awareness of my true nature and their true nature and how we are connected by the flow of life and these elemental forces that have given rise to us. And then as I look out through my eyes, they will have been transformed. And the simple truth will be acknowledged. All minds are joined. And the person in front of me is not a stranger to me. A person in front of me is my brother or sister, my fellow traveler, a being of brilliance and light. Even if they're acting in a way isn't very loving, that isn't rooted in their conscious awareness of their true nature. <clears throat> if they're acting in any way other than loving, it means they've either temporarily forgotten or they've yet to discover their brilliance. And yet that does not change their essence. Just like nothing, nothing I've ever done that I would count a success and nothing I've ever done that I would count a failure has ever increased or decreased my value as a person. My essence is not changed by the thoughts that flow through my mind or the things I've, quote, accomplished, close quotes. So today I commit myself to teaching only love by sharing only loving thoughts. In order to accomplish that, I'm going to have to look upon everyone that comes into my experience and remind myself that they are a being of brilliance and light just like I am that we are connected through the essence of the creative flow and the one mind. And I will look out then through my eyes, having been transformed by the simple acknowledgement of the truth that all minds are joined. And the person in front of me is not a stranger. This is a fellow traveler, a fellow brother or sister, a fellow being of brilliance and light. 
This is one who walks as I walk, who feels as I feel, who longs as I long, who is humbled as I am humbled, and who prays for peace as I have prayed for peace. Therefore, in the next moment, I will breathe and soften and reconnect to my source, and I will extend to them the peace for which they seek, which is my birthright and theirs. It's the essence of the creative energy flowing through each of us. And I will stay consciously connected to that as I think, speak, act in their presence. And that's how I will teach only love. And just that much is a practice that will change your life every time I've managed to do that. It's changed my experience of life dramatically. Even at in the throes of a, uh, an intense series of events that one might call a tragedy, whether it's a car accident or somebody seriously wounded or a financial arrangement where somebody's been unethical and stolen thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of dollars from me, when I'm able to do that practice, when I'm able to remind myself to take a breath and get centered, when I'm able to remind myself that everyone I encounter is another being of brilliance and light just like myself, and they're either acting from the rooted center of their being and their conscious connection to that, or their actions could be viewed by me and everyone around them as a cry for help and healing. So hidden here, lesson 10, is yet another specific very practical tool. I can make a decision multiple times a day to decide to teach only love. I can decide to take a breath and reconnect with my source and my true nature. Breathe and soften prior to every interaction with every person. And I can remind myself, look, I don't know who made me. I don't know when I was created. I don't know who made the person in front of me or when they were created. I don't know anything. Somebody does. There's some reason that we're here. There's some flow of creative force giving rise to all of this. I could choose to ask to be taught by that flow of life, by some in intelligence that's far more integrated and far more powerful than my conscious logical mind. So I think I'll do that. I think I'll ask to be taught. I think I'll open myself to be shown. I think I'll start to tap into what so many of these great spiritual teachings tell me about how every person is a being of brilliance and light. In every moment that I ask to be shown, I can be opened to a flow of energy that goes far beyond what my physical senses might register. I can learn to look behind what my senses are telling me, what my eyes show me and the pictures my mind create, 
to see the shimmering radiance, as it talks about in the way of mastery, that underlies all things. This is a very specific, practical exercise that is being suggested. And most people, my experience has been, most people when we read through this, they miss that as an exercise. They'll they'll understand that here's this exercise, sit in a chair for five minutes a day and envision, imagine, experience what it would be like to be a creator. Wake up to the fact that your your thoughts are always creating whatever you point them towards. And then maybe you want to choose to experience what it would be like to to be Christ, to experience being that level of creator. And there's a very specific exercise. But a little bit later on, kind of slipped right in the middle of a page here, is another very specific exercise. And it says, I could choose every day or multiple times a day to be conscious about what I do with my mind energy and my interactions with others. I could choose to remind myself that I'm free that I have the power of choice of what I choose to focus my conscious awareness upon, and that's what creates my experience of life moment to moment, that the essence of that bliss state that so many people are pointing towards or calling towards or this thing they call heaven, heaven is a present moment experience available to everyone. It's here now. What's happened in the past is gone. I don't have a time machine. I can't go back and change it. And yet, in this moment, I can choose anew. So today, in this moment, I'm going to commit myself to teaching only love. How do I do that? By sharing only loving thoughts. So this day, this very day, I will choose to look upon every person I interact with And before I interact with them, before I let my thoughts race off with them, before I open my mouth to say anything to them, I will breathe and center myself in my true nature. I will bring my conscious awareness to this essence of the Holy Spirit, this elemental force for humans that's available to break off the effects of our errors in thought and guide us to truth and happiness if we just ask it to. And I will ask to be reminded how to see everyone I interact with as a being of brilliance and light. To be reminded that they are just as I am. That they walk as I walk. They feel as I feel. They long as I long. They are humbled as I am humbled. They have prayed for peace as I have prayed for peace. They are not a stranger. They are my brother and sister. They are a fellow companion on the path. They are a being of brilliance and light, an extension of the creative energy in form. And they're either acting from that awareness or they've either temporarily forgotten or yet to discover that brilliance. So as I become connected to that, as I remind myself of their essence and my essence, I will stay connected to my essence as I breathe and soften and let only thoughts that are loving about myself and them come to fruition and act 
and speak only from those thoughts. And in that way, I will give to them, I will extend to them the peace that comes from that conscious awareness of our true nature that is our joint birthright. And by giving it to them, I will receive it more fully myself. I will extend love to them in each new present moment as a specific exercise that's laid out just hidden here in the middle of page 123 in the way of mastery. Not even labeled as a specific exercise, but very much a practical how-to to improve the quality of your life and your interactions with everyone you interact with all day, every day. And my experience, as I mentioned earlier, is that every single time I have remembered to do that, it has transformed my experience in ways words can't describe, whether it was through the drama and the intensity of a car accident or a verbal screaming match between people or you know, uh, breaking down, sobbing, crying of somebody in response to an intense situation in their life or somebody, you know, literally stealing tens of thousands of dollars from me, it dramatically transforms my experience of life when I remember to step into that exercise. So again, I thank you all for being here. I thank you for your willingness to experiment with these teachings and usher yourself into a different experience of your life I will remind us all that we come from love, we're made of this stuff we call love, we actually are love and everything else is false and I'll welcome Jeannie Rice Ruka Ruka Dukudsha you want to talk about kosher? well you know first of all, kudsha anybody ever heard the word kosher? Hmm, comes from this right here. Uh, if you look at that in the scholarly sense, what it actually, the word kudja means is intended for mankind, something that is holistic and whole for mankind. If you look at it just literally as its root sounds, it literally means whole, all-encompassing, all-embracing. This here is the word Holy Spirit. First of all, I mentioned just briefly, I mentioned last night a lot about spirit, about how it was more accurately breath in Aramaic and how breath and spirit were not two separate things back then. That happened when Latin spread itself out across the kingdom and then all of a sudden you had breath and you had spirit. Now today we're looking for spirit and we're looking for spiritual things, not realizing that what we're looking for is what is looking. And the greatest way to connect with spirit is... And I said yesterday, if you want to understand Yeshua's teachings better in the first century Aramaic perspective, cross out the word spirit and write breath above it. Sounds very Buddhist almost. That's going to give you a much more accurate understanding. The idea of an outside or somehow disembodied spirit that we can't see would have been such a foreign concept that if he were to talk like that, nobody would even know what he was talking about. Not that everybody understood what he was talking about anyway. So this rucha here is... That's that word for breath, spirit, energy. It would be pneuma in the Greek, spiritus in the Latin. An elemental force. This is ruka right here, okay? Now, intriguingly, the word's ruka. So technically, that means this. 
Rucha is not technically the force, but rather our experience of it. That's what Rucha is. And I said yesterday that in, in the first century Aramaic understanding, being feminine, what I feel on my arm is not breath in the way that we think of it. What I feel on my arm is just hot air. Breath in Aramaic, in ancient Aramaic, was not the hot air that moves through my body, but rather my feminine experience of its movement. Everybody breathing right now? I can feel like a... That's a lot different, isn't it? Yeshua wasn't pointing to things and saying, do this and don't do that, and look at that word and that word, and walk this and walk that there, and do that there and that right there. He was talking about coming back to the eye within the eye and realizing that you can actually answer the question, are you breathing or are you being breathed? Rucha breathes you. When you get your breath moving and you allow your temple to open, she, which is what she was called in the first century, someone can just flippantly in the middle of a conversation say she, and people would know they were talking about the Holy Spirit. Rucha the Kudsha, the all-embracing breath of God. And there's a lot of amazing power in th this is the word of, this is, this duh, buh, is a little prefix, the Dalit, which essentially means uh, of, you can put it that way. Interesting. And if you can just be aware of your breath and understand the only reason you can't breathe in any moment is because things are up and resonating. And if you don't know how to forgive, you're never going to be able to open your temple, ever, because there's always going to be residue there, there's always going to be junk that's going to keep that from happening. And it's interesting, when, uh, when he's talking to Nicodemus about this, mm. Nicodemus doesn't have a clue what he's talking about. The leader of the Jews. This is it. And Yeshua says, what? <laughs> you a leader? You don't understand this? And then, notice what he defaults to. He then explains to him an elemental force. This, is, this word is, uh, is used to describe all of the elemental forces. And in particular, there's one for humans. But he, he gives Nicodemus the example of this elemental force called the wind. And he says, you know it came from somewhere, and you know it went somewhere, but you don't know it directly. You can only know it by the effects that it creates. And so in each of us, there is this elemental force for that which is proper for humans. And if you turn yourself over to that energetic flow in you, then that power will process those things out of your structure. We could say in our modern language almost, a super processor. Nicodemus wasn't aware of the super processor. And it's interesting to watch how the Greek fear-based translations can turn things so backward. So we hear about this, and, and over the years I've worked with so many people who, I remember one man who was in his 70s, and he was starting to look at, thinking about, you know, my lifetime is, is getting short, and he was sure that he was going to hell for eternity. Because as a young man, as a teenager, he did what he considered to be the denial of the Holy Spirit. And he was sure that that's where he was going to burn for eternity. And there's nothing in the Aramaic about 
The denial of the Holy Spirit is the unforgivable sin or the denial of the force for that which is proper. What it says is, in essence, let's, let's kind of do a long form of it. In your carbon-based memory system, your body's structure is made of carbon, six electrons, six protons, six neutrons, and anything that's put in there that doesn't belong there is stored holographically in every cell and passed from generation to generation. So we've got four generations, we're told, in there. That's 31 lives. If you've got 31 lives in there, and then remember again last night, we talked about 10,000 brain cells firing, nine bits of data can come to conscious awareness in these pictures that we paint behind our eyeballs. How long do you suppose, if there's a pattern in your family system, it's going to take you processing nine bits of data at a time to get through it? Not likely to happen anytime soon. What that passage says is, is, is being explained is, that you have a power in you that if you invite her into activity in you, she will process you right down to your genetic toes. The denial of that power will leave you in unforgiveness. You won't have the capacity to process that much information. It isn't unforgivable. There's nothing like that. But it, if you're not able to call that power into play in you, if you can't acknowledge that it's there and invite it into activity, then you're on your own. And on your own, it's a pretty stuck place to be. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. But there is literally an elemental force in each of us that if we call it into activity, and you know, when, when it always amazes me when I watch people do the forgiveness worksheet process from why is this happening to me again. So often, somebody starts that worksheet out and there's this big, oh, messy, you know, arms going in every which way, hate, fear, anger, rage, guilt, grief. And literally four minutes after they do the forgiveness process, they're like, well, why was that such a big deal? And where did it go? And it's gone. Probably the most common comment that I get from people, I don't know if you've done this when you've done the worksheet with people, but when I ask people, how do you feel after you've done the forgiveness process compared to before? And before, it's all these emotions and all this stuff. And literally four minutes later, it's, you know, it's silly that I ever had any disturbance about that. And the truth is, you've never had any disturbance about anything. You've just been disturbed. Your mind can put it anywhere. When you enter into forgiveness and you call on that force for that which is proper, that force for that which is proper can take a lifetime of trauma in 35 seconds or less and disappear it. Don't quote me as that some kind of literal number. Just, just disappear it. And on the other side of it, people are laughing at something that they were extremely traumatized about just minutes ago. But you can't do that on your own. Our own pea brain can't do that level of process work. And so when I can acknowledge that power is in me and can move through me and undo what doesn't belong, untie me or liberate me from those things, everything changes. Oh yeah, it fits right in with it. So 
Hmm. You know, it's, it's amazing. Uh, the Nicodemus thing is funny. He came under the cover of night with his, well, it didn't say with his tail between his legs. You know, the leader of the Jews saying, I heard you're some sort of a big deal and I wanted to come and talk to you. But it's intriguing how when he says the wind comes and goes, you don't know where it's coming from or where it's going to, that word's rucha. And then it says, as it is with spirit. What hand gesture, wind he can go like this. What hand gesture would he have to make for spirit? You know, what would he have to do? Foreign concept in the first century. He would have probably gone, as it is with rucha, as in breath. Remember, breath and spirit were artificially separated later. Not yet. Okay? He probably would have gone... And he also says, of course, you must be reborn of maya and rucha, maya as in water. But intriguingly, that word maya, what it really means is great flowing expanse. It's at the end of shemaya, which is the word heaven. Must be reborn of the all and its movement, its elemental forces. And, you know, there's another thing that's hooked on so often that I get asked about. People say... All right, but what about born again? What does it say in Aramaic? And what I would also say to a biblical scholar is, what does it say in Greek? So, interesting. That phrase in Aramaic, another thing he said in John 3 to Nicodemus, is that you must be metelid man darish. Okay, what does that mean? That word rish or reish means head. Now let me explain what head means, okay? It doesn't mean this. People can say, born of the crown chakra. That's nice. It could be that. It could be part of it. This was called the Christ chakra in Gnosticism, okay? That's a good one. That makes sense. But let's look. As a matter of fact, that's what Christos means, open channel of divinity. Now, here's head. Uh, in the Gospel of Thomas, not allowed in the Bible, in the Gospel of Thomas, and I will say Thomas is not a person. Thomas is Tumas, which in Aramaic means twin meaning this is a reflection of the fundamental guy that's been kind of shown for the last couple of decades. Look here, we're showing a reflection. If you're at the head of the line, where are you? The beginning, right? Or we naturally say beginning first. There's another head on the line. The end. The first shall be last, the last shall be first. I am projected into this world and not of it. Now let me explain head to you. First of all, the head means the beginning. It's the beginning of a cosmic expansion, okay? The head, as an example, what they asked you, him in the Gospel of Thomas, they said, can you tell us how our end will come? And although it doesn't say chuckle, I assume he probably chuckled and said, okay, have you actually found the beginning that now you're looking for the end? And he said, blessed is the one who takes his place in the beginning at the head, for he will know the end or the head or leading edge, and he will not taste death. Remember, he came to crucify the world, the cosmos, Alma. He came to crucify our belief in time and space, and inside and out, and light and dark, and positive and negative. These are all qualities of a singular continuum. They are not anything that is separate, because if you take one away, the other is gone. Okay? And there's actually a, a word I'd like to share with you. Bereshit. This is the first word of the Torah. It's the first word of the Torah. It's also the beginning of the Gospel of John. One thing a lot of people don't realize is that 
This is to expand on the idea of the head, the beginning and the end. A lot of people don't realize that the original Hebrew Torah, which of course begins in Genesis, Bereshit, with in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, even higher than 30, 913 clear and distinctly separate ways that you can translate that from Hebrew into English or Hebrew into Greek. Interesting. Not many people realize that this is it in Hebrew, this is it in Aramaic. Same pronunciation. Most people don't realize that the original Hebrew Torah was not words and verses and phrases. That came hundreds of years later. It was actually a string of characters like a mathematical algorithm or a constant like pi. Okay? And it wasn't broken down into the metaphorical storyline of in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and Adam and Eve and snakes and Cain and Abel and all this other stuff until hundreds of years, possibly over a thousand years later. Okay? Because it was just a string of characters. And they didn't read the characters. They toned the characters. They still tone them to this day. Okay? Now, what's amazing about Semitic languages is each letter has a meaning. And it's amazing that the very deep nuance of, the, of Genesis is unpacked by the realization that what they would do is they would tone each letter individually unto itself, but the gist was much like George Seurat or a pointillism painting. When you're in close, you see smashes of paint, and you get so obsessive about detail, but the key is being able to pull back and holistically see the whole. So they would tone each letter and also be in that flow and be able to, as much as possible, take in the fullest nuance of the text. Now, this is something that's going to unpack the inside-outside beginning and being reborn from the head thing a lot better than you could even imagine that it is. There's a reason why it's at the beginning, and I really think the Gospel of John should have been at the beginning of, of the canonical Gospels, but of course they put Matthew there because it had all the begatting. The funny thing about all the begatting is they're showing you Jesus' bloodline, right? Right? Who's his father? God. Does he have a bloodline? That's number one. Number two, who's right before Jesus in the bloodline? Joseph, his stepfather. They're not showing you Jesus' bloodline. They're showing you Joseph's stepfather. Hello, McFly. Pick one, y'all. Stick to the story. You go to Luke, they do the same thing, but they do it in reverse, and it goes Jesus to Joseph and goes all the way from Adam to God. It's not his bloodline. That's an example of a secret, something that's right under your nose that you've seen a thousand times but you never thought about before. There's a lot of that stuff. Now, Beit, Resh, Aleph, Shin, Yod, Tal. Okay? That's what we've got here. Berashit. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to show you a very simple process of the letter meanings of each of these letters. Okay? And this is just one word we're going to do it with. All right? So I'm going to ask you to just pay attention for just a couple of minutes. It's not going to take long. Now, the first one is bait or bet. When you know in the, in the beginning, in the is the word bet or bait. Okay? Now, I'm going to have to erase this. Michael knows I get all excited and passionate about this stuff. He doesn't get excited and passionate, though. Yes, he does. There we go. Woohoo! You trying to erase me? <laughs> Now, this is what the letter, this is what the letter bait means, okay? And intriguingly, bait or beatas, it's also a word in Latin. It means this. It means house, okay? Now, this in Proto-Sinaitic, the earliest style of writing that we have, 
Beit means house. It still does to this day. And it looked like this. It looked like a house. But let me explain something to you. House, Beit, when you know Beit Lachem, Bethlehem, the house of bread. Okay? Interesting. House, Beit, doesn't mean just a building with bricks and structures and walls. Take a breath. What it means is it's the differentiation between the inside and the outside. The object of my attention appears to have an inside and an outside, light, dark, positive, negative, masculine, feminine. It also means burst open. It's the root of the word blessing. Okay, and I said yesterday, it says that we were born as the original blessing of life itself. Okay, so we've got burst open as its own blessing from inside to its outside. All right, the next letter is resh. Resh is the word head. It means leading edge, or it means source or leading edge. Head, okay? You know what's amazing? The original letter looked like this. It was a neck with a head on it. Hmm, interesting. So, next letter is Aleph. Aleph is actually the first letter, well, rather than writing the letter, is actually the first letter of the Hebrew and Aramaic alphabets. And it sounds like this. Listen closely, okay? It doesn't have a sound, technically. <laughs> it is often pronounced like this, though. Ah, ah, okay? Now, this aleph is put in words to keep a word in motion. Part of it, there's a symbolic depth to it, which I'm going to get to, but it's the, not the same as having a space there, even if it's not spoken. But the difference is that you keep it moving, okay? You stay in motion. Now, what Aleph meant was ox. Wow, that's the key to the cosmos is ox. Huh? The original letter looked like this, okay? This was the original letter for Aleph. What does that look like? It looks like an ox. Why? Because... Then and now, the ox was considered to be an animal in agrarian societies, agricultural societies, that was so tremendously powerful because it didn't just have strong haunches or shoulders or back or legs, but rather that it gained its tremendous strength only when it was in a state of absolute wholeness. Strength only comes when we are holistic and whole. That's where power comes from. That's where all power comes from. That was represented by the sound ah, which was aleph, which is everything. It's the whole ball game. Are you getting what I'm saying? And then we've got the letter shin or sheen. Now what's interesting about this one? I'm just going to put it below. It looks like this. This is literally the original letter. It meant shine, sheen, or express. It was a lip with teeth underneath it. We're going back about eight to 10,000 years right now, okay? It means shine, sheen, or express. Whoa. The next letter was yod, which means hand. When it says in the Gospel of John, nothing existed except through his hands, beada, ada, or yeda, in Aramaic, that doesn't mean that God's got a workbench up there and he's building the world. What it means is everything you see is God. There's no outside God. There's no outside presence. There's no all-powerful anything except that which you have not opened up your awareness to. Okay? But that Yod means to reach out. 
It means to reach out. The original letter looked like this. It was an arm with fingers on the end of it, a hand, and it meant reach out. And then the last letter looked like this. Just two lines next to each other. That word means reflection or echo of itself. Now, if you just look at the word Bereshit, and then I'm going to turn this back to Michael, this is just the first word of the Bible, okay? You've got Reshit, which is a woven net that a fisherman would use, and the Reshit, or Reshit, it would be squeezed down, and they would throw it, and it would go like this, Reshit. That's what Reshit means, the casting out of a net. Okay? In the middle is Resh, which means head, or leading edge. Reshi literally means at the leading edge of the rushing headwaters. Kind of like you're going down a mountain stream and you're surfing the leading edge of the cosmos. You ever have that feeling when you're so fully, wholly present right now in this moment at your center that you feel as if you're at the leading edge of all creation? That's what it means to be born again. Literally, looking at this word, there's also ash or ash, which is an expanding fire, bursting open as its own blessing from the head or leading edge of everything to shine, sheen, express, and reach out to become its own reflection. That's just the first word of the Bible. Do you think maybe we missed something? That's what wholeness means. You get it? <gasps> I got the paper. And you can't figure it out. Yeah, your brain can't hold it. Forget it. You've got to be in the energy of it. You, you trigger in me the, uh, the memory of uh, something that Carl Jung said that I think was so powerful. And he says, who looks without. And of course, looking without means you paint a picture on the inside of your eyeballs and you think you're looking at something out there. Who looks without dreams. Who looks within awakens. And when you start looking within, when you let this take you within, when you let your breath take you within, then everything is transformed. Everything changes. And there comes a space for wholeness into this expression. Hmm. Pretty cool. And you can't do it by keeping your attention on what's in your brain. You actually have to ultimately repent. Does that mean you have to proclaim yourself a worthless sinner and a... Repent! Sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. No, I don't want to do it. <laughs> so it means to turn another way. You look at people who are looking without, as Carl Jung said, we think it's out there, and we're in a dream. We're stuck. We're lost in a dream. And you want to turn your vision 180 degrees in the other direction to look within and see that the source of the world that you live in, the source of the construct, for those who weren't here yesterday, we quoted from a CIA website where they're working to understand how to get the best perception possible from their analysts to get the best intelligence possible. And what they literally say is that we do not record reality, we construct reality. And every reality that you see through your body's eyes is painted on the inside of your eyeballs from what's moving inside of you. If you never get beyond what's painted on the inside of your eyeballs, then you'll live forever in a dream. 
and the horror, the dream of the world is somebody else did this to me and therefore I'm hopeless, I'm helpless, there's nothing I can do. When you give up looking without at the dream and you repent, you turn in another direction, you awaken from the dream because you're now directly in touch with the root of the dream, you bring your human life, the active presence of love and the breath to the dream and the dream starts to dissolve. Then you get a set of directions that comes from a different place. You know, we, we spoke yesterday about the Creator. They're saying, they say the Creator is omnipresent. If the Creator is omnipresent, is in every corner of the universe, there's that active presence of love. And the physicists, as we said yesterday, tell us that every molecule in the universe is in continuous communication with every molecule in the universe. Is it possible that when we can collapse our preoccupation, that is, forgive our preoccupation with what's out there, drop within and remove it, then we move into whole field perception where we are literally guided by these energy forces that come from the Creator through the whole creation and therefore we, our, our structure, our realities are structured out of literally the energy field of the Creator, the mind of the Creator, rather than the mind of your body. When you move there, you get to live in the present. And the reason they call it a present is because whenever you're there, there's a gift, there's a present. And it is that active presence of love that will clean up everything in your structure that never belonged there. Thoughts? Just one little piece, uh, literally. Um, just two little pieces then, okay? You know, one of the things that I... I had a dear friend, this is going back in the early 90s, his name was Michael Talbot. Uh, we lost Michael to leukemia, a really rare form of leukemia. I, I you know, um, had such a, uh, an amazing relationship with him. He lived up in New York Center City. He had a book that he wrote called The Holographic Universe. And one of the things about Michael is, uh, he did lots of research into the holographic nature of reality, which of course has been something that's been out there for probably a, a hundred years really fully formed on one level or another. But it's an amazing thing that if you take a whole holographic plate that has a three-dimensional image in it, and this is an actual true laser hologram, a laser hologram, you can aim the laser in and actually encode the information in that holographic plate. And if you give just the slightest degree of shift, you can put another whole full image and another one and another and another and another, like these infinite dimensions, the mansions of many mansions that we live in right now. All of these infinite images can be shown in this laser plate. And you shine the laser in at whatever angle it is and you'll see the one that went in at that degree. What's most beautiful about this is if you take a nature, uh, holographic plate and you drop it, it shatters into thousands of pieces on the ground, and you shine a laser into every single sliver and splinter that it broke into, you can put it at the exact same angle and see all of those images wholly and holistically in their entirety on each sliver. But there does become a point when the slivers or the breaks become small enough that the laser will no longer be able to perceive the image of holism anymore. There's a point when that doesn't mean it's not there, but it's almost impossible to perceive anymore. 
in the world and locked in it. Separateness. Exactly. And that's, that brings me to the, the, the second point, which is this. John 3.16, let me just say it clearly, without going into all the studies there are, that it was actually a, a right-hand marginal note that was integrated into an, uh, 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 a copy of it. The Gospel of John, Yohanan was originally called the Gospel of the Beloved Disciple. John 3.16, everybody, you see it all the time. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever shall believeth in him shall not perish, but shall have everlasting or eternal life. And I just would love to just get this one thing out there very briefly, and I'll show it to you in English. Okay? This is the word in Aramaic. Yechud ayah. Yechidayah or echadayah. This is the word in Greek, mono gones. Now, what does mono mean? One. What does gones mean? Gona, gona. Birth, born. Only born, only begotten. Now here's an interesting thing, okay? Does anybody know when monogonas was defined as only begotten in John 3.16. We know the exact year that it was given its definition. Monogonas was already in the text of the Gospel of John. They didn't define it until the 4th century in 325 AD at the Council of Nicaea. And they picked four possible definitions and they chose one out of a hat. The one that they chose was only begotten and Constantine was very clear that the reason they chose it was because Horus was known as only begotten in ancient Egypt and he knew people would eat the story that much easier. It's not a secret. Research it. Interesting. You know what it means in Aramaic? Yah means who. It's a point back to Yahweh, the, the oneness, the wholeness. It doesn't mean who as in yoo-hoo, person, but rather the I within the I, the who behind the who. Okay? Chud in Aramaic is literally the word one. It's the word one in Aramaic. It's the number one. Okay? Ayah is an interesting word because it's in many languages. And what ayah means is something that has no beginning and no ending, much like a vine. Something that is growing, 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 and it's one with everything. It's always in a process of oneness. It's always in a process. On one level, it's on a process of oneness. On another level, it's of a pro on a pro in a process, you know, in what seems to be the physical world of constant growth. It never stops expanding. One who is absolutely single and one with everything. There's no such thing as a begotten in it. There is no begotten. Because begotten implies what? Two. There's no two in the word. It actually says one. Intriguing. Think of the pain and the torture and the suffering that's been done in the name of John 3.16 because people think other people don't get it when, bless their hearts, even ministers who have been in the pulpit for six or seven decades of their life and they've gone to the theological institutions and they've got all the numbers and letters behind their name, they don't even know the history of their own religion. I say that with absolute love and peace. It's time for us to wake up because ignorance is not bliss. Ignorance is blindness. And believe it or not, you're the only game in town because there's only one. Okay, let's look at the opening words in the book of John. We're, we're told that it says, 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh. In Aramaic, it's something much more profound than just speaking a word. There are a couple of different ways to translate it, and one of them is mind energy, and the other one is willed action. And when you, when you think about that, and then, you know, so often now today, we get the benefit of the world of physics and the world of physiology and research that goes into the science of it, and it all starts to make sense. Now, there's a, a video that we carry with an interview with a fellow named Bruce Lipton, who's a cell biologist. And when I first was introduced to Bruce, it was after I'd done a television interview up in New York, and this gentleman said, are you familiar with Bruce Lipton? This is back 20 years ago, before Bruce was very popular. I said, no. And he says, well, he's a cell biologist, and he's doing the same work you are. It's like, really, a cell biologist doing what I'm doing? And when I, and he handed me his video, said, here, watch this. And I was just amazed at what unfolded. And one of the main things that Bruce talks about on that particular video is that when you think a thought, that thought becomes a molecule in your structure. Actually, Deepak Chopra speaks about that action as the non-physical becoming physical. Mind energy becomes flesh. Willed action becomes flesh. And so what he's showing is that you think a thought and that thought becomes a molecule. The molecule circulates around in your structure until it finds a cell with a receptor site that matches, an antenna that matches, and then it lands on the cell. Now what the cell biologists are saying is that this cell then replicates the neuropeptide. I don't believe the cell replicates the neuropeptide. If you look at my hands in the other direction, when the cell, when the uh, molecule finds a cell with a receptor site that matches, it inserts itself in the cell. And what shows up in the cell is what we call chemistry. So such thing as chemistry, in fact. What it is is the energetic pattern, and this part of it solidified looks like chemistry in the cell, but it's really a whole energetic pattern. And when it comes to forgiveness, and you recognize that your energetic pattern, your multi-generational database has the mind energy of every generation in your bloodline, the skill that ultimately you need to develop if you're really going to perfect the skill of forgiveness is you're going to have to learn to go inside of those cells to decode their content and remove the ones that have become your flesh that don't belong in human form. So the skill to be acquired is a skill of being able to go inside and retrieve from your genetic structure. You know, when the geneticists first started researching, they told us that you know, it was 95% junk DNA. There's no junk DNA. I think the official numbers are now down to about 60% of its junk. There's no junk. It's just the history of your bloodline. When they said the sins of the fathers will be passed to three and four generations, again, that word sin is an archery term. It just means off the mark. Anything that's off the mark is an energy that's stored holographically and lands in the cell. It lands in the genes and is passed from generation to generation. And so when you learn the skill of being able to reach in, and it only comes with the, one of the main skills that uh, Dale's been speaking about. Can I borrow that skill for a minute? Mm -hmm. When you breathe. 
And that opens the veil, the barrier between what we don't want to be aware of and what we are aware of. There are certain things that we've approved and said, I'm willing to look at this. But when something starts to move in us that we don't want to look at, what we generally do is hold the breath. And holding the breath causes us to dissociate from that mind energy and to no longer be able to decode it. The problem with doing that is because you live in an energetic universe and everything that is in your structure is literally energy in motion and sets up energy waves, then because resonance means motion toward, somebody who's in resonance with that mind energy in you is going to show up in your life. The person with the decoder for what you don't want to decode is going to show up in your life. And you're not going to be happy when they show up because what they do is going to resonate everything you don't want to feel or decode. And so what happens is people shut down the breath, they create an artificial barrier, a veil in their temples. This isn't about a purple curtain in the church when they said the veil of the temple must be rent in twain. The veil is created by locking down and creating this artificial barrier and creating a dissociated mind, a mind that we cannot touch, a mind that is not ours to change. So the very things that you most want to change in your life, as long as you stay in denial, they're hidden from you. And denial looks like you made me. When there's a problem inside that we keep creating pictures of something that we think is outside, then as Carl Jung said, we live in a dream. We live in the dream that everybody else is doing it to us. But there's a, there's a really important piece of the puzzle that we miss. While we're out there proclaiming how everybody else did it to us, we're still feeling the pain of it. Now there's a test we've developed in this work for determining whether or not something you're feeling is yours or not. And the test goes like this. Are you feeling it? <laughs> if you're feeling it, you know it belongs to only one person. If you have the capacity for hostility, fear, turmoil, rage, guilt, grief, pain, or trauma, it's because it is an energy in your structure. And until you're willing to capture that and remove it, and it is a skill. I remember several years ago, I, I bought a computer online got the computer, hooked it up, and there was a problem with it. I called tech support, and the tech support people said, you know, we can't do this overline, you're going to have to send it back to us. So I sent it back, and they ostensibly fixed it. I got it back, plugged it in, it was exactly the same. Got online with tech support, sent it back, and they ostensibly fixed it, plugged it in, was the same. My son did his computer training with a, a, Na a former NASA computer scientist who was a genius with computers, but had several businesses going, and he's a, a good friend of mine, and I didn't like to disturb him, but after the second time of the company that owned the computer, built the computer, when they couldn't fix it, I called Graham. And, Graham, I've got a problem with this computer, can you help me? He says, sure, what's going on? And so I explained it to him. He says, well, go to a C-prompt. I said, what's a C-prompt? And he explained how to get to that. And he gave me a string of characters to type in, and I typed them in. And he said, read that back to me. So I read back what came up. He said, okay, type this in. Read that back to me. What's it say? I read it back to him. He said, okay, type this in. It's fixed. Graham, come on. You're kidding me. No, it's fixed. Well, how come that... Michael, it's fixed. Now, how does a NASA computer scientist know that it's fixed? He's developed such skills. You know... 
You know where Tiger Woods was today? One of the best golfers in the world. You know where he was today? He was on the golf course. He was chipping shots. He was putting. He was driving. If you want to become a master of your life, if you want life and you want it more abundantly, then you're going to have to go over the, after that set of skills in the same way as the Tiger Woods or the same way as this friend of mine, Graham, had. And as you develop the skill of breathing in the presence of your trauma, of opening to it and moving it, you open the veil of your temple. You open the barrier between the subconscious and the unconscious. And you have access to those things that never belong in your bloodline. When you have access to those things that never belong in your bloodline, you remove them, you forgive them. You no longer put those things into your brain's image of your brother. What did Yeshua say? You must forgive from your heart, your unconscious, that which you put into your brain's image of everybody else. And you want to believe everybody else is the source of your disturbance. If you're still capable of disturbance, you have a problem. You ever say to somebody, you made me mad. You hurt me. You disturbed me. You, you really have a problem. You ever say that to somebody? I have a question for you. If they're the one with the problem, why are you the one with the pain? Do you think pain belongs in a device made by love? It doesn't. But your brain can lie to you and make up pictures of how something outside of you is the cause of what's going on inside of you. The skill you need to be de developed is the skill of accessing everything that never belonged in your bloodline and removing it so that no matter who shows up, no matter what shows up, you're not capable of pain. That all that is incarnate in your form is the active presence of love, your human life. And if you believe it's about anything else, then you've got all kinds of dramas and traumas that you blame everybody else for. And it's time for us to learn to literally remove the capacity for any form of drama and trauma. You must forgive from your unconscious, from your heart, from your dissociated mind, that which you put into your brain's image of everybody else whenever it's triggered. And you'll notice when people do that, they usually start with their enemies. But if there's no enemy handy, they can use their spouse. And if their spouse isn't handy, they can use that child that was so dear to them. Or any object of attention will do. You remember the forerunner to this mind that was in Christ was who? John the Baptist. What did they call John the Baptist? He was the raving maniac in the desert. The desert is another code word for the unconscious. If you want to truly live in the mind of love, you're going to have to meet your John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is the one who can reach into your unconscious and show you everything that you never wanted to deal with, everything that you never wanted to feel. Now, there were two skills, if you ever decide to play that role for somebody, there were two skills that John had not bothered to develop. And that was, before he confronted someone who was living in a lie, who still had the capacity for some sort of turmoil, confusion, or pain, he confronted them, and when you confront someone in that state with truth, their stress goes up. And most people have their stress attached to the source of the information that shows truth. And they want to get rid of it. So John didn't know when to duck and when to hold the mirror up. And they took off his head. Be careful when your stuff comes up, 
to own it and stop taking off other people's heads? Stop talking about anybody else if you're in pain or turmoil? Because talking about someone else when you're in pain or turmoil is called denial. And when you deny, you dissociate. And what you dissociate from is the only thing that will kill you. If there is a frequency in your cellular structure that can cause disturbance or disease, then you need John the Baptist to bring it up for you. And then you need to breathe. The veil of the temple was rent in twain. The veil in the doorway of the temple was rent in twain from top to bottom. Ape tarea de haikla. The veil of the temple. First of all, you know, he mentioned a purple curtain in the doorway of the church. It's nice, and there's validity in making a building and putting a curtain there and making the inside of that the holiest of holies, and only the high priest can go in there. Whether they actually demonstrate true cosmic love or not, it's just the way it is. Those are the rules. But let's get clear that the holiest of holies is right here. Now, ape tarea de haikla. Haikla is the word for temple. It's the word for church. Haya, I kind of give you haya, give it abundantly. Said that yesterday quite a few times. Um, the word save is haya. Salvation is haya. Resurrection is haya. All these different words that have been translated in all these strange sort of evangelical Christian ways, it's all the same word. And every single one means conscious life energy. When you have haikla, kla is the ka and la, it's, it's a gathering of conscious life energy. And that's the body temple. It's also the word for church, a word for church or sanctuary. But let's go back a little bit. Ape Torea de Haikla. Torea is a word that a lot of people skip over. They just say the veil of the temple, but it's the veil in the doorway of the temple. That word Torea means door, doorway, doorkeeper, or portal. A portal is an opening between two dimensions, between two rooms, between the inside and the outside, whatever you say. Portal, interesting. Go back one more word, which is ape. And this is the word for veil. Um, ape. Now, pe is an Aramaic letter that means from the mouth. Okay? It means from the mouth. Ape. Intriguingly, when Yeshua said, that in which you judge another, you are guilty of practicing, right after that he called them something. What did he say? Called them a hypocrite. Hypocrite. Hypocrite sounds like this in Aramaic. Ape. It means to puff out from the mouth. Ape also means this. It means veil. We just said that. Ape also means sake. Like for your sake, Johnny, don't run out into the road. What does that mean? For your what? Safety. For your, I would say for your apparent safety. Ah, sounds like A Course in Miracles, talking about the safety of the ego, which has no safety in it whatsoever. So we've got veil, we've got hypocrite, we've got sake, but there's something a little closer to that. It also means person. Person in English comes from the Latin word persona, which means mask. Now the ape in the first century was a mask that an actor would wear in a divine play. They would show up on stage with that mask on, and by the end of the play, they would drop their mask and reveal their true inner light and absolute eternal divinity. 
when someone heard him say ape, they would not have heard hypocrite. That's an English word. They wouldn't have heard veil. That's an English word. They wouldn't have heard sake. That's an English word. What would have been going on for them was, oh, I get it. It's the mask that we wear. You getting what I'm saying? In other words, it's not you that judges the other. It's your mask. It's your where the 666 was. It's your anti-Christ. It's anything, Christ, remember, Christos, look in Strong's Greek Concordance, open channel of divinity, okay? If you look at that in Greek. Anything that blocks the portal is antichrist. Anything. Anything that keeps you from being open is antichrist. And you know what's really convenient? If you try to spend decades and hundreds or thousands of years looking and labeling an outside antichrist, because you know what that does? It enables you to make somebody else the perpetrator. It makes you the victim, and now you can fight against them so that you don't have to take care of any of the dynamics that are already running around in your heart. What is it that uh, Gandhi said? There are no devils in the world except those running around in our own hearts. And I love, Yeshua said in the Gospel of Thomas, that which you bring forth from within you will save you. That which you do not bring forth from within will destroy you. Hmm. Nice. And they said, take care of the heart for out of it are the issues in life. Now notice if you live in the outer eye, you think the issues in your life are somebody else, right? Anybody ever said that to somebody? You made me mad? You made me sad? You made me afraid? Most of the world has this belief that if somebody else hadn't done something, I could be at peace. And that's a lie. The only reason I can't be at peace and in connection with the actual presence of the love that I am and that I live, move, and have my being in is because there's something in me that I don't want to deal with. And that which is in me that I don't want to deal with literally creates a high-energy wave that, if it's of a destructive nature, of a hostility or fear-based nature, literally is radiating into every cell of my structure continuously and destroying me. So if I speak a word about my disturbance as being your fault, I'm destroying my own cellular structure. And so it's out of my heart, it's out of what I hold within my own denial system, my own dissociated mind, that energetically draws the issues to me that I need to deal with. And then somebody shows up, and what does virtually everybody in the world do when somebody shows up that resonates their disturbance? Well, let me explain to you what's wrong with you. Let me explain to you what you just did to hurt me, to cause me pain. And Yeshua would say, you must forgive from your heart that which you just put into your brain's image of your brother. And as you go in and remove that, and the basic thing that drives the mind to produce the pictures that it does on the inside of our eyeballs. Remember, we talked about 10,000 brain cells fire. Nine bits of data go into perception. Something drives that system. And when you know what drives that system and what to do with it, then you change that whole system. And what drives it is our goals. You'll notice you've never been upset with somebody who's meeting all your goals. If they say everything the way you want them to say it, they do everything the way you want them to do it, they bring what you want them to bring, and they obey every infantile goal you have for them, notice you're quite happy with them. But when someone violates a goal you have for them, 
what happens is that goal becomes a driver that causes your mind to use your own dissociated content to build a picture on the inside of your eyeballs that makes it look like it's about them. The core of the forgiveness process, and but the core of the forgiveness process looks like this. When I load a goal into my mind that causes my mind to use some kind of disturbing energy in me, hostility, fear, rage, guilt, grief, pain, confusion, whatever it is, when I load a goal that causes my mind to move that energy in me, then I build pictures out of that energy of somebody else and talk about them. That's denial. In Aramaic, the word forgive is shabag or shabak, and it means to cancel. When I realize that what's driving my perceptual system to use my dissociated hostility or fear to produce my brain's image of another, I now live in a dream, as Carl Jung said, who looks without dreams. I live in this dream that everybody else is the problem in my life, and therefore there's no resolution. When I recognize it's my goal that drives the dream, then I shebag the goal. I cancel the goal, which seems totally insane. But when I realize that that goal is driving my perceptual system to use my internal information based in hostility, fear, confusion, rage, whatever it is, then by canceling my goal, I collapse the whole projection. And when this projection collapses in on itself, I drop right into the part of my mind that holds the disintegrative energy, the sin, the energy that's off the mark that doesn't belong in me. So I open a pathway into that dissociated part of my mind, and as I do, I'm able to bring that information, instead of bringing it forward as pictures of everybody else, by going within, as Jung said, now I've awakened. I'm in direct relationship with that energy. I bring it to the presence of active love, my human life, I ask Ruku Dekutsha, the super processor, for support, and all of a sudden I process through that, and my temple is freed from that. I've opened the veil of my temple with forgiveness and removed what didn't belong. And that's all been misinterpreted to be about some kind of building 2,000 years ago. And it becomes irrelevant to who you are today. Are you still capable of any former hostility or fear? Notice that when it comes up, you talk about somebody else. That's the whole game of the world. Buy into the world's denial system and make it everybody else's fault. We can never drop into the part of us that is our disease and heal it. You've got to crack open the veil. It's done with forgiveness. It seems totally backward to have a perfectly wonderful, awesome, sweet, tremendous goal and cancel it. But I collapse the picture that keeps me focused out there, thinking the problem's out there, and I get to drop into where the real problem is. And when I remove what disturbs my peace of mind, then I get to incarnate as a human being. There's work to be done. That part of your mind. And then invite Ruka Dukuja to assist you to process whatever that's about. It's the most amazing process you'll ever see when you actually use it. First century Aramaic forgiveness. One of the strangest things that I really, I, I, you know, that brought up a lot of stuff for me that I had to remove so that I didn't recreate it within my own system, I was really, I was flabbergasted when I got deep into these, some of these scholarly realms and into these rooms, and I was so, it, it completely made no sense to me how I saw these theological frames and fences that were passed down for thousands of years 
and how there was almost, almost no one who was interested in moving those frameworks to the side and say, maybe, just possibly over the course of 2,000 years, maybe one little thing here and there was possibly not quite correct. Maybe there's just a couple of things that aren't quite completely in high fidelity. Um, but you know what? You can only hold so many corks on a lake down. And now that the internet is out and everything on the internet is true, right? <laughs> now that the internet's out here, you can't stop it anymore. It's out there and it's coming out. And the young ones that are coming in, they don't have the indoctrination. I realize I'm not doing this for us anymore. I'm doing this honestly for the young ones. I'm doing this to help us let go and be open and forgive what's in our hearts so that they can come in and we don't need to indoctrinate them and drug them down and dumb them down and dump all this garbage on top of their heads to feed the economic, political, and religious beast anymore. We can just let them be exactly who they are. And that's exactly what all of the Yeshua teachings are about. And to know that I'm right here beside you, it's like, come on, with Mikael, the great angel himself. So. so notice that many of the things that we've said here tonight and last night for your non-being mind are hard things to hear. 2,000 years ago they said to Yeshua, what do we have to do? What's it look like? And what he said in an idiom was, you're going to have to live like I'm living. You're going to have to live as the active presence of love. But you'll notice that half of his audience left his tutelage saying, this is too hard a saying to hear. You mean I have to give up my rage, my guilt, my hate, my fear, my confusion, my blame? I have to be responsible for that and give it up and live as love? Too hard a saying. I'm not interested in doing that work. I'm out of here. And half of his audience left. If you found hard sayings here, we're going to invite you not to believe a word that either of us have said. We're going to invite you to take the tool of forgiveness, put them to work in your life, and watch what happens. You'll have your own direct experience. And our goal here is to take you into the direct experience where you're in touch with your inner teacher, your inner tutor, and you live your life as the active presence of love. With the Lucky Land Plus, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.